Welcome to Conversations from the Edge of Consciousness. I'm your host, Christine Madeira. For me, and possibly for you, the inner world of consciousness has always been much more real and way more fun than the so-called real material world. Growing up, I thought I was alone in this, but I'm not. There are a lot of us, and far too many have no one to talk to who shares this experience. I've been lucky to cultivate a community of friends who love to talk about the energies, ideas, and vibrations that are pushing the edges of our own consciousness, as well as our collective consciousness. In Conversations from the Edge, we share our conversations with you. Welcome to Conversations from the Edge. This is your host, Christine Madeira, and I'm here today with Alex Boyangu. And Alex is a dedicated and gifted therapist with over 30 years of study and practice. And he uses an integrative approach to therapy, emphasizing psycho-spiritual growth grounded in somatic therapy's focus on the unity of body and mind. And if that was a mouthful for you or an earful for you, we're going to go <laughs> deep into this as we go forward. Alex is also a trained EMDR therapist, which is a technique to help people process and resolve trauma successfully. He's also a gifted couples therapist, assisting the partners to reach deep levels of awareness and compassion. Because with compassion and discernment, Alex guides and models how to positively harness the psychodynamic energies we all possess to rediscover our common and innate holistic nature. So just before I welcome Alex here, I want to let you know that you're in for a really special journey because Alex and I are going on this adventure over the course of several podcasts to talk about the journey of wholeness. So we're not going to rush through anything. This is going to be a lot of really interesting fun. So keep looking for these podcasts because you're going to love this adventure. So welcome, Alex. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm so excited for our, our journey forward. Well, people can't see me, but I'm beaming. I'm smiling and uh, so, so excited to do this. And the fact that we're going to take this as a journey and, you know, kind of like stroll and meander along that path, mm -hmm. um, that really excites me. Well, okay. So I, it excites me as well. And I, I want people to know more about you because... I've talked to you a few times now, and there's a lot more to Alex in this, this uh, in, in what it can be encapsulated in a short bio. So can you talk a little bit more about what really fuels you, what brings you together, and you know where, where we're heading on this journey? Sure. You know, um, people ask me this question often, and um, it's easy to get uh, lost in the relatives of Alex, and I, I don't mean relatives as my family relatives, but the relatives of, of, of my life and the circumstances. So I think I'd like to describe my journey both on the um, relative level of the content of my life, as well as, as the aspect of, of wholeness, the ground of being that has always been at the driving force of my life so you know it's interesting like as, as we say who am I who am I is you as well and every single individual human being and 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 yes we can talk about my specifics my journey my moments my events but you know what all of us have had those and what happens is that we take a mythical journey all of us as you know Joseph Campbell's hero's journey so I have a hero's journey everybody's got a hero's journey it's just a matter of what we're doing on that journey where we are on that journey who we're with 
and that 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 symbolizes that all of the events on that journey, all of them, and this is one of the most beautiful, beautiful aspects of being. Being never separates from being, and that everything that happens in, in our life is the manifestation of our sense of separation and our desire to return to being whole. That's the journey. That's what we are all here to do. And as you know, when we turn around and we talk to someone and we really deeply listen through their whole story, what you're really listening to is what I just described. They're seeking the same thing. And so I've been driven, I mean, my entire life from my childhood to really answer the question of who am I and why am I here? This, is, this has been burning. I can't tell you why I had that question. I cannot tell you that there was an event necessarily that made that question. All I know was that I've always had those two strong forces within me. So that's just a little bit of a beginning. I mean, we, I think my details will come out as we talk in terms of specifics. And I think okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let that be organic. So I do have a, a, a starting question for us then, because for many people who have these big questions, who am I, why am I here? You know, what is the nature of life? And mm -hmm. those sorts of things, there's always something that kind of either catalyzes it or different, different things that happen in your life that make you really move into those questions and, and ponder them. And I know for me, it happened around age seven, but you had said there was a, an incident, well, one possibly birth, but also around age eight that, that really was distinctive for you. So can you share that so that people might, might recognize an event similar to that sure. in their own life? I'll give you two events actually. Okay. And, and, and the first event was uh, my birth. Uh, mm -hmm. So my mother was uh, seven months pregnant with me and she fell down and um, was rushed into um, emergency um, C-section. Wow. Uh, so I was born uh, premature. And what I understand of the stories that I was told, because I don't remember, of course, was that I was in an incubator for a very, very long time, separated from everybody because I was sickly. And, you know, it was, wow. touch, it, it was touch and go, mm -hmm. right? And they weren't sure um, what's going to happen to me. Well, I'm mm -hmm. here. Uh, 53 years later, and that was a very defining force, an event that I can only tell you and your listeners the impact of that has had on my life as my life has unfolded and I've put the, together the pieces as the themes that the disembodiment of that I experienced mm -hmm. the potential death, the 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 fears of of coming into life under those circumstances created a lot of um, contractions in my body that mm -hmm. had lasted for a very long time, unconscious projections and fears. And I think that if you say to me, what event really had driven that? That was the beginning of sort of saying, welcome to the world and uh, <laughs> let's, uh, here's your journey. And, and um, that was a defining moment. And um, for all of your listeners, that, they don't have to have the same moments, but if they can reflect on particular moments that stand out, they'll start to see that, later on in their life, 
that was sort of say perfuming out in their life in the way that they think and the way that they feel, the way that they experience their body, the way that they interact with others, how they see themselves, how they see life and the meaning of it all. You see, so therefore we can't speak about all of that without understanding, mm -hmm. understanding, of course, all the imprints, if you want to put them. So that was one major imprint. The second one that stands out from my childhood, there's... Mm -hmm. There are more more minor ones in, in, in the way I grew up and within my family. But the one was uh, when I was seven years old, we had moved from, from Russia to the United States. I was, mm -hmm. I was seven. And I think it was the first grade. And one day, out of nowhere, you have to understand, I decided I don't want to go to school. And <laughs> seven years old, I don't want to go to school. I don't know what got into me. And I started to stroll around Jamaica, Queens and exploring. And there was a, a candy store. And I was like, hmm some candy and I went inside and I realized I had no money mm -hmm. and uh you know the piece of candy was that the, the traditional bubble gum that was around for five cents and I uh -huh. didn't have the five cents <laughs> and I I stood there for a moment and I decided not to take it and I walked out and I, I I know exactly where I was in Jamaica at this moment if somebody brought me there I can tell them where I was mm -hmm. that I, I thought to myself why didn't you steal this why, why did you not take this? And it was so clear to me. It wasn't that I was afraid of some kind of outer force. Mm -hmm. I, w I felt something within me that didn't feel right in harming that person, causing them a loss of five cents even. Mm -hmm. And it, it sat with me very deeply that I didn't want to do that. And the second part would be that that would stay with me and eat me up, meaning that I would have to live with that experience knowing I, it's not well within me, not just the other person, within me. And this really stands out in my, in my life. And um, I think that that kind of is a theme, has been a theme in my life. Well, yeah, it certainly seems to have been. So how did that shift you moving forward that really helped you on the path that unfolded for you in your life? I think... If you ask people who knew me at that time, and th that's why I have some of these other memories, I think I was just a really kind of like caring, giving, loving child. I mean, my mom says that I always brought in, you know, stray animals, wounded animals, people eventually, homelessness. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, you know, you know, it was like, you know, my mother's like, you brought in every person, everything into the house. And um so you can see that the, that theme, right, was running already before before that incident, and and I think that that incident was just a reflection of an ongoing stream of my karmic imprint in this lifetime. I can't tell you why. It's I don't you know in in describing this, I want to be very careful you for listeners. I don't look at what happened and how it unfolded as that it belongs to me as an identity. And I want to set mm -hmm. the stage on that very clear. I'm not going to be speaking about myself as something special, unique, and I stand out as something. No, my journey is the hero's journey like everybody else's. And I did not choose my karmic imprints. I did not choose my family of origin. From, some people may argue I chose. But in, in what I'm saying by that is that I didn't come in and, and experience these things because I, 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 I deserve it or don't deserve it. I hope that makes sense. It's, mm -hmm. it's, yes. it's part of the unfolding of what I really intuitively believe is that mm -hmm. the, mis the mystery of being, who we yes. are, is always working through all of the 
blockages and misperceptions, right? So Mm -hmm. that's why, and if you want to really look at suffering, suffering at the core is because we feel separated from that quality of being and suffering is the energy that is meant to make us come back home. So suffering is not the problem. Suffering is the invitation. Oh, I love that. Yes. You know, so this is very important. So, you know, whatever suffering I experienced Mm -hmm. was the same as everybody else's suffering as an invitation to return back to why am I here is to experience wholeness. That's why I'm here. Well, and I think, as you said, in the that's really why we're all here. And it's, it's an individual journey in the sense that we all journey in our own experience, but it's a collective journey it's that collective. we're doing together. And yeah. so one of the things that is part of this collective journey that, that really flavors it is that uh, we have this core wound, for lack of a better term right now, you're going you're gonna to fix that term here in a moment, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But this core wound of separation, of where mm-hmm. we are feel separate from one another, separate from yes. our infinite beings, separate yes. from God or the divine, however you, yes. you um, yes. categorize that. And that some of the ways that we experience that separation, that it it's, um, flows through us individually and as mm-hmm. a collective society, are through sure. things like these deep emotional orientations of... I'm not enough of lack of, um, mm. of being disconnected in a way that I need to harm. I need to do something that, that benefits me that also makes somebody else less so that I feel you have mm. enough for me. And mm. that not enoughness and that lack really flavors our, our entire global society. Um, and you talk about this core separation from the point of view of trauma. Mm. So I'm, uh, how does that work as, as trauma? And, sure. and how, how, how do we experience this from your perspective? There are two starting points here. Um, and the first starting point was really initiated for me um, in reading David Loy's book called uh, Buddhism, Existentialism, and Death, uh, Lack and Transcendence, it was called. Wow. And, and I have to say, one of the most uh, profound books on understanding uh, what's called existential anxiety, or what I would like to term um, ontic, ontic separation. And mm-hmm. let's talk about those two terms and what, what they mean. That the initial injury, if you want to call, the, the main trauma is being being. Uh, separated from that experience of well-being and fullness, right? So that is what is evident in the human condition. I cannot tell you why in this human realm that we are born into, that that is what colors every single one of us, the separation. Some people may call it separation from God, separation from being, separation from our divine nature, from our true nature. I mean, you know, there's a lot of names for that. Mm-hmm. But let me tell. But let me tell you, as children, we 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 intuitively sense that that we we want to experience a wholeness and a fullness and a togetherness. And and the way we we embody that is wanting our family of origin in our interactions to help support our coming home to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, or just the way that it is, and this is just this is being human, that in this realm, nobody gets away 
from being conditioned. This, yeah. is the this is the realm of being conditioned. I don't know if there's other lifetimes or there's other manifestations, if we're born into other realms where conditioning doesn't happen, I don't know. All I know is that while I'm here and in this conditional realm, we all experience conditioning and we cannot get away from it. So we have the original sort of say ontic separation mm -hmm. followed by the trauma that happens that and then you bring those two together and i'm going to unfold those two a little bit more i'm just giving you a quick quick initial then what happens is in the trauma on top of the existential angst that we experience and david loy says that the existential angst is is feeling like you can't find an identity to put your hand on that that no matter how much we search to find a stable sense of self we cannot mm -hmm. find it like no matter what that the that the sense of self sense of self not our true nature of being our sense mm -hmm. of self comes and goes like a mirage in, in 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 a desert you can't put your hand on it it seems like it's there and every time you come to grasp it it you you slip through it and what happens with that existential anxiety is that we keep trying everything in life through all of our endeavors to take mm -hmm. the mirage and actually make it a non-mirage and stabilize it you see <laughs> yes that that really kind of is the journey that we do in my view like with the mind that we get this experience of true nature and it feels almost my god like here it is here i am i see me i feel me right. and then the me. mind comes in and tries to like recreate that in each moment That's right. That's in different right. ways and it never works because it's it's an ephemeral experiential ephemeral. state and it it's is. not one of those things that you can say well these are my 10 core values and this is how i do this and now i know who i am because i can define myself it's undefinable um, it's only can be experienced. So I love how you, you, you talked about that. And you also talked about this existential anxiety and trauma in terms of how it, how it works in the body, how it relates, mm. how we, how we condition through the nervous yeah. system yeah, and how yeah, that's yeah. kind of our, you know, yeah. the, the moderator between our true nature and the outside world. So can you go a little bit deeper into that for a moment? Yeah, it's one of my favorite topics, and it's one that has uh, been coming on the scene for the last 20 years with the movement uh, in the science field, in the studies of consciousness, neuropsychology, and meditation. You know, it's all the things that the Dalai Lama, you know, mm -hmm. what now, over 20 years ago, had initiated the look at meditation uh, practices, the mind-body practices, I should say it, like Tumo and Salung and, and these other meditative practices to see what's happening in the body, you know? Mm -hmm. So we we are fortunate to be alive at a time that, that the last 20, 25 years has been an incubator for this. And, and I'm actually sitting uh, with uh, three books next to me. Uh, one of them um, is called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. And, and the other one is The Polyvogal Theory by Porges. And then I have another one about the nature of self. What do they all have in common? Mm -hmm. They all look at the brain and the nervous system as the building blocks of who we are and, and then how trauma, and this is where I'm going to go here, mm -hmm. impacts that. So, um, and I said this in my other podcasts, when we're, when we're born, when, when we're actually fertilized, when, when, when it's just right at the beginning, um, and I've done my research to take a look, when does the nervous system start to form? And it's, it's, it's so early on. It's the nervous system and the brain 
start to form so early that you realize that it is the interface. It's the, it's the programming, the matrix that interfaces between being mm-hmm. and our conditional life. So that's the way I like to look at it. It is the moderator between those two. And what happens with the nervous system, as we know, that the nervous system has a function of keeping you alive mm-hmm. and safe so that you can give room for being, you see? Yes. And that's, that's, that's you know, it's like if, if when you notice in our lives, when the nervous system is calm, all of a sudden, we're full of energy, we're full of creativity, and we're like, okay, I'm ready to go. And, I, and, and, and there's this quality of wanting to express that deepest aspect of being. So trauma, when, when we're being conditioned, and I want to be very clear about trauma, there's a misunderstanding in, uh, in the lay world, and I understand this, that trauma is just uh, uh, one event. Mm-hmm. I, I, I actually love, and this, this came from, from my wife, uh, from the Greek language. She was talking to me about trauma. It means, trauma means rupture. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my goodness. It, trauma ruptures us or pulls us out mm-hmm. from the momentum of being into then dealing with our outer circumstances so we can massage and manage it to survive and cope with it until we have room later on to resolve it. So the way that trauma works, and I, and I often like to use examples because they're sometimes the easiest. So the mother during the nine months of incubation, she is the first primary source of, of the influence. So her energy, her mental well-being, the hormones, this is very important by the way. Yes, yeah. Her hormones, this is the key, because her hormones are a reflection of her well-being in the nervous system, because when the nervous system is not well, we're producing lots of uh, stress hormones, mm-hmm. and those stress hormones basically tell the nervous system, hey, you need to be on alert and ready to be safe and protect you. Mm-hmm. So the mother, the mother is the first, you know, um, influence. Then the baby is born, and then we have the environment. And this environment is the immediate family, the the, the immediate neighborhood, the immediate place that you live. You know what I mean? Like all of what Carl Jung would say: all of the collective unconscious influences. Mm-hmm where you are, religious, political, social, economic, and so forth, right? Can I ask you a quick question in here too? Yeah. Is so oftentimes, again, lay, lay perspective of trauma is that we think of traumas in terms of something physical that happens that may cause some form of, some form of like fear mm. or change in the nervous system. But you had touched on this, like in the womb, it is not just necessarily what's physically happening to the mother, yes. but what her emotional and stress state is. So if she's <laughs> under a state of emotional stress, even if there's no physical danger that that has the same um, hyper expression in the nervous system uh, because it's the same stress hormones you're on to something very important here sorry about the noise behind me I'm in New York City okay. we have, life is life <laughs> there we go yeah life. you're talking about something so important here so um, for a long time we are nonverbal and you know sometimes when I ask my clients or talk to friends whatever 
when people reflect back on their life, it's not often what somebody did or what somebody said. It was the energetic tone of of the environment. Mm -hmm. It was it was what was not said. It was all of the nonverbal. And by, by the way, when we think of our, let's say, biological mother or father, it, you know, if that was the case or if we were adopted, I mean, whatever it may, whoever the caretakers were, right? Mm -hmm. When we think back of them, and I asked the person, without without them saying anything to you, your parents, do you remember what it was like? And they go, oh my God, of course, my body felt tight. Where did you feel tight? Wow, my, right in my chest, in my throat chakra, my belly was there, I was nauseous. And what happens is this, each one of us, our bodies responded in, in a particular fashion to the unconscious nonverbal material of our environment. Yes. And this is, this is powerful. So that's why the somatic approach to healing taps into the influence on us pre-verbally and mm -hmm. that's where that's where the healing takes place because the verbal is secondary the emotions are tertiary because they describe they're the descriptors of the sense of separation from the nonverbal, you see so yeah and when, when i did i used to do a hypnotherapist and i would do the regression work with people to go to the the pre-verbal and the somatic the body experiences mm -hmm. that people had and they were so much more vivid than the experiences that they had where they had more cognitive ability to process where you know more more volition in their life on what they could do whether they could escape or, or not escape um so yeah this how these things are stored in the body is just critically important and there's one other thing I want to uh, input in here to be part of this conversation as you move forward that I've heard you talk about and I've talked about this with clients as well is that you know once you're born and particularly before you have your physical and cognitive volition to make your own choices uh, when something traumatic happens in a family like if a parent beats you or your misbehaves or is somehow you know regresses and as acting like a child or whatever it does it kind of threatens um the, the peacefulness of the situation that oftentimes it, you know the child can't say oh well mom's having a bad a bad day because that's a caretaker and it is emotionally excruciating for your caretakers to be bad, wrong, dangerous, um, incapable. And so we often as children take this on, there must be something wrong with me. That's if it. I were a better person, if I were enough, if I were good, if I behaved myself, you know, everything would be okay. And that becomes part of the unconscious layers that, that whatever's going on in the world, it's not enough. So I just want to I... put that too, as part of the conversation. It is uh, what you just described there is probably the most important fundamental um, impact of existential anxiety, trauma. Mm -hmm. The third level is what you're talking about is, is the formation of self, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is very important. So the trauma that you and I are talking about here is simply all of life and all of the influences that that create separation from ourselves period mm -hmm. and and of course we can say that there are you know if i hit you with a hammer lightly on your finger versus smash it with a hammer those are both traumatic and mm -hmm. they just have a they have a different impact and 
they they last longer. The, the 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 hitting your finger with full force, you're gonna feel that maybe for the rest of your life. Actually, you will mm-hmm. remember that. Whereas if I tap you on that finger a little bit, eh, maybe within a day or two it'll go away, right? So yeah. everything has what I want to call an imprint. All right. Mm-hmm. So and that imprint matches up with our temperament. So all of us, by the way. Mm-hmm. C- come into the world already with a certain temperament. We are not free. We're not blank slates. I want to be very careful here. We have temperament. You know, I think about my own son when he was born. He had a particular temperament when he was mm-hmm. born. And and he still has that same temperament at almost 22 years old. And I look at myself and I say, I have a certain temperament that I remember from, from childhood, mm-hmm. right? And so temperament meets, meets trauma, those two mixing together. All right. What happens to the sense of identity? And you nailed it, which is this. We have to not label our parents as the bad ones. The mm-hmm. ones this is object relate this comes out of our object relations theory. That instead of making them the bad object, because that would then um, induce a sense of unsafety, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We and by the way, none of this is done cognitively. Again, this is right. not a decision. We don't say, okay, now look, I'm gonna make you good, I'm gonna be bad, right? Yeah, it's all just that internal emotional survival complex. It is completely unconscious, completely nonverbal. And that's mm-hmm. what and what we ex- when when that happens, we experience it then as we are the bad object. Mm-hmm. And I'm not good enough, let's say, as the most common one, right? Yeah, yeah. And what, and what do we do? Here comes the fourth part of the, the journey. We develop a coping mechanism in our family called the complexes and the archetypal expressions. So, for example, Carl Jung talks about these archetypes, and, and I love them. You know, so the caretaker, the good one, the bad one, the straight-A student, the perfectionist, the troublemaker. So, you know, you have all of these roles and masks that we develop. Why? Because we somehow get very creative in our family of origin and we we use that mask to get our needs met mm-hmm. the best that we, the best that we can right mm-hmm. and yeah. and that mask becomes so deeply ingrained in us that we end up thinking and believing that the mask is who we are yeah we can we can't we, we don't know yet that we are not the mask and what happens is that the masks the mask because it's ineffective and it's very rigid. And let's talk about what the mask is. The, mac- the masks are basically perceptions of self and then coping mechanism, relating mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So let, let's, let's use an example. Let's say there's a child in the kitchen and I just have this image, you know, the, it's a daughter and her parents and everybody's cooking and the daughter is cooking and she drops a glass of water. And the father turns around and says, you're so stupid for doing that, right? And in that moment, she's being helpful, she's doing things, and all of a sudden, she experiences in her body, the initial is the response in her body, that would be first. And there'll be a contraction, and in her own unique way, there'll be a contraction, there'll be, there'll be a squeezing down of the expressive energy, you see? And it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like a cap, capping of, of the sunlight. Mm-hmm. It's like bringing clouds to the sunlight, right? And, mm-hmm. and, in, and in doing that, she still wants to feel part of the family. She's like, I'm sorry, daddy, that was my fault. Uh-huh. And 
here comes the beginning of it's my fault. And what does she do? She becomes a good little girl and she says, okay, daddy. And then she goes, I'm going to go clean other things too. And all of a sudden cleaning up and doing these things. And she grows up to be a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And she's yeah. in school and she's going to school. She's going to college and she, she, she's so stressed out. She gets straight A's, but she is a mess. Mm -hmm. Cause you're never enough. Cause you're never enough. Yeah. And this is what we resolve in, 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 the, in the work that I do with people. We deeply resolve that. Yeah, and that really is, coming back to our original conversation, the journey to wholeness. It's, it's mm -hmm. not something that's outside of you. It's kind of, you know, you talk about it in terms of unconditioning or deconditioning, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. all the aspects of development or conditioning that interfere with knowing yourself as whole and, and the yeah. experience of wholeness. So we've yeah. talked um, some here about trauma and, and how, you know, trauma is connected with the nervous system. System and this kind of stuff, but a lot of people have never had a, a real identifiable experience of wholeness or what life might be like, like their ordinary life mm -hmm. might be like if they were kind of in this orientation or experience of wholeness. So can you talk a little bit about that so we can contrast those and we can mm -hmm. kind of set this journey up? It begins in, in the following. It's first, it, it's in the understanding of why we become ad addicted to experience, what we crave and experience, right? Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at that, for example. We are in the unconscious uh, habitual tendency. We're driven to seek experience as a way, and this is Rupert Spira's language, and it was beautiful when he said this, that all of seeking is intended to stop seeking. And when I heard that, it <laughs> completely resonated and blew me away. And he said it in such a beautiful way. All of seeking is to end seeking. So let's do an example. Okay. You're going out for your, you're going for your ice cream, and you take that bite of ice cream, and in the moment that you experience all the flavors, right, really mm -hmm. fully in that moment, you're no longer wanting anything. Right. You, the, the sense of seeking is gone. If you truly are there, you really experience the 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 expression of the flavor. That moment, then when it fades, right, leaves us craving. Because we're beginning from a sense of lack, right? So, and then we're seeking temporary experiences to fill up the lack, which it cannot do. So wh where do we begin? We begin by the embodied experience through breathing. I want to begin with breathing all the time. And, and so when you and I talk about a deconstructive process, mm -hmm. we have to be able to let go of all the filters of the trauma to have moments or a moment or five minutes of, it's like, huh, I wanna sit on the beach where there are no clouds. Alex, can you <laughs> tell me how, can, can you tell me how we're gonna do that? Yes, right. what, we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna use these methods that have been passed down for thousands of years mm -hmm. of, of helping decondition so that the clouds can part and you can see the sunlight, right? Yes. So we need the methods to do that. And there's, there's, a, there's a progression of how to do that. And the path, the path is laid out very beautifully from the, in many of the world traditions, mm -hmm. they, they lay them out. And the first, 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 first is breathing. Why? And, and the brilliance of breathing is because the breathing calms the nervous system down. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Incredible because, no. 
let's reverse this for a second. Okay. When tra when trauma happens, what's mm -hmm. the first thing that what's the first thing that it gets impacted is breathing. Right. Whenever, whenever we contract. So we go from full breathing, full what we call three part yogic breathing, mm -hmm. to all of a sudden a shallow breathing, and we end up with approximately thirty to fifty percent of our full lung oxygenation capacity. Mm -hmm. I want you to think. I want you to think about that. Therefore, as children, teenagers, and then young adults, we have lived that long by reinforcing to the nervous condition that we are still under duress, stress, and threat. Even as we're living our life, having our relationships, going to work, and so that in the in the unconscious arena, the nervous system is still wired. And let's get to let's get this. Why is there so much? diagnosis of anxiety in the United States. Let me unpack that one in two seconds. It's because okay. of this. It's because we are so wired from, from early on within, within the, the Western world to live a certain way mm -hmm. that, that creates a separation from our wholeness. And then we walk around trying to fulfill the mandates of the, you know, the way that we should live, which, separate, which uh, you know, uh, supports the separation. And then we wonder why we struggle from anxiety. Yes. And you've said that beautifully because that really is all of Western society and particularly in the United States is set up to reinforce separation. Because if we think about all those things that we want, that we think that we need more of to feel like we're enough. So, uh, you know, more fulfillment in our work, more money, more success, more all of these different things, right. they, they don't actually produce the effect because they that don't. original conditioning doesn't shift. And so we spend our whole lives doing that because, and you right. can see this because when you look at oftentimes people who are highly successful in you know societal terms or have made lots of money or have other kinds of lifestyles or lives like professional athletes that other people think, oh my God, they've arrived, they're enough, they're wonderful that they still act out of this original orientation of I am not enough. So, you know, you can see that there's no external way to fulfill That's that it. internal drive. And I know yeah. from when I was doing, I'd, I've done a lot of mind body fitness work. So I work in the fitness industry and really it was all about training people, like you were saying, to breathe better. Like that was the original thing. How do we breathe in a way that we're, we have whole breathing because oftentimes we just habitually have a stress breath. So, and I always say you can be sitting on the beach in Tahiti under increasing your stress hormones because you're breathing out of habitual stress breath. And so I love that, that you bring it all to the breath. So what are some ways, like what are a couple of simple ways that we can begin to pay more attention to that breath and practice calming the nervous system between this conversation and our next conversation? There's a whole field of the, the science of breath, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's incredible. And, uh, you know, it's deeply rooted in the Eastern traditions within yoga, it's pranayama, right? Mm -hmm. Which is which is the breath work coming from that system and you don't have to be religious or follow any path you simply those methods are powerful for everyone and anyone yeah. and then in the buddhist tradition we we have a whole compendium of breath work that's associated with certain movements and mm -hmm. certain certain meditative practices that relieve the stress in the nervous system 
and then we abide and rest in our natural state, right? Mm -hmm. So what's some of the most basic breath work? What we call full breath, full breath, right? The full breath simply mm -hmm. consists of learning to breathe what we call into the belly. It's kind of the belly breath, we call uh -huh. it. Yeah. It's where the, where the diaphragm expands downwards, all the way down. And it's, you know, we don't realize that when we take a full breath, our diaphragm squeezes down our internal organs mm -hmm. very, very far down. And, and we take a full breath in and that oxygenates us. It tells the nervous system, oh, everything's okay right now. And in that moment, most of my clients, they're shocked, by the way. They come to me in the first session, we do breath work right away. Uh -huh. And they're like... <laughs> Oh my goodness, I feel amazing. I feel wonderful. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they start to feel the way that they've, they've wanted to feel for so long, simply by breathing. And But here comes the next part of it. By breathing, you then can deal with the material that's coming up for you. You set the stage in what I call, how am I going to relate to the conditioning experience of life? And the more we breathe, the more softer and gentler we become, the more our heart chakra gets involved. Because when we relax and we breathe, there's a sense of well-being that wells up almost all the time for people in, in, in what I call the heart center, right? Mm -hmm. And then as that starts to open up, we start to view and understand ourselves from a more compassionate place. Mm-hmm. So breathing, breathing opens the door for the beginnings of that transformation of the uh, misunderstanding of self. It truly does. And it, it kind of opens up that the parts of the brain that can view whole like experiences as, as whole experience and not as the, the linear parts of the problem. Uh, because, you know, that linear mind that, that's activated from stress always seems to, you know, sort of orbits around the problem and trying to fix right. the problem and, and what's, what, what can I do to make this problem better? And doesn't really look at the whole space, but our, you know, our brains have the capacity for wholeness, obviously, or we wouldn't be on this journey. And that breathing in my experience is it really activates that, that parts want, of the brain that see us as whole. Yes. I'd like to, to, to take what you said. And, and if you don't mind, I'm going to adjust it a little bit. Okay, perfect. No, do that, please. Our brain doesn't produce an experience called wholeness. Oh, yeah. Yes, true. So I want to be very, very clear about that. We are whole. And, yes. and, 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 and that ex the experience of wholeness, and I want to give it some qualifiers here. What's that? What is that? What are some characteristics of that? Yes. One, it's a feeling of expansiveness. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a feeling that we are spacious, that we are timeless, that we are radiant, that we are present, that we are knowing without any defining characteristics of conditioning, mm -hmm. okay? Now, I know that in the West, we often associate that now with you know, the brain research that when the brain, when we relax the firing of the habitual patterns from the brain perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden we're gonna experience wholeness. It's the brain, the brain does not produce wholeness. I wanna okay. be very clear. It's, yes. our, it's, it's our natural state. Mm -hmm. And, and then the, our bodies and our brains <laughs> this is, it gets very interesting, are the, ex, are, the expression, <laughs> are the expression of that wholeness, meaning that wholeness is the operating system that gives birth and expression to the manifestation on a physical realm of who we are. So therefore, the brain and the nervous system are, are tools, are tools and, and, and manifestations of, of being 
truly experience life, right? Yes, and I can, I can see that as being our next conversation. So is there anything that you want to say to kind of wrap this one up or finish that thought? And then we, I think we've got our next conversation just ready to roll. Everybody remember, you are whole. There's nothing wrong with you. There has never been anything wrong with you. Yes. You are whole. You are here to express the fullness of your being, period. Absolutely. And I'll add to that. I am, you are enough because I keep hearing that more and more. So I just want to add that in there because that being enough is part of wholeness. You can find Alex and communicate with him via the links we have for him at the conversations from the edge.net website and also in the podcast notes. And Alex has a really special gift for everybody that you can also find in those, um, in those places. I'll, I'll put a link in there for you. So Alex, can you tell us about this beautiful meditation that you're sharing? Yeah, this is quite lovely, this meditation practice. We often are seeking in our lives uh, to experience wholeness. If we really look at our experience, we want wholeness through all of our experience. And wholeness is that quality of being that's already available to us. And our body naturally expresses that quality of being. That's what embodiment means. And what we're going to be working with in the body is the seven chakras or the seven energy uh, systems and energy points. And each one of them uniquely expresses a certain quality of being. And what we'll be doing is accessing each chakra, doing a little bit of breath work to clear away blockages and stagnations and to experience those qualities then. And then to allow those qualities to settle deeply within the whole body and then also to pervade our lives. That's the essence of what our meditation is going to be. And I've done this meditation and it is really luscious and lovely. So I invite everybody to um, check that out. And you can again, check that out at conversationsfromtheedge.net or under the show notes. And Alex, you also have a course coming up in September that people might be really interested in if they want to dive deeper with this. So. Um, I will have information on that course in the show notes, a, a link for people to find out more and they can email you directly about that. But can you tell us a little bit about this course to let people know what they might be in for? Sure, I'm really super excited. Um, I've been meditating since I was a, a teenager. So it's been a, it's been a long time and I've been fortunate enough to be trained by some amazing uh, Tibetan Buddhist teachers and then some Western teachers and, and some Advaita Vedanta teachers from the Hindu system. Mm -hmm. So in being trained uh, and, and given permission also to, to teach meditation, I have learned throughout my life that people come to meditation with the best of intentions because they have this sense that meditation will help them make deep contact with who they really are. Mm -hmm. and. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of meditation is being taught and there's a lot of misunderstanding in the West and how it's being taught. So I really have tried very hard in, this will be the third time that I'm teaching this course, to make meditation something that is accessible to everyone and to understand the most important thing. Meditation is not a technique, it's a way of being. So therefore, life is meditation. And we'll get into what that means in the course. But the course consists of eight weeks. We'll meet once a week, nine, eight Thursdays. 
And what we're going to practice together, one is understanding the point of meditation, who we truly are, and then experiencing who we truly are through these methods, and then learning to integrate these methods through life, through moving through life. So the, the point of meditation is very practical. It's how to be, how to interact, how to go shopping, how to interact with loved ones, how to go to work, how to be with oneself. So this course is entitled Embodied Non-Duality. And the reason it's called that, embodied means that we begin with the body. The body keeps the score. The body also heals. It's through healing the internal energetic space that then thoughts, emotions, and sensations follow suit. We cannot change our experience through thoughts, emotions, sensations. They can only be changed by shifting the energetics in the body. And we can do that through meditation practice. We'll be learning of the what's called one-pointed meditation. We'll be learning what's called insight meditation. And we'll be learning what's called non-dual meditation. And those are the three that we'll be learning. And we'll be practicing them for an hour, hour and a half together each week. And so far, the reviews have been phenomenal. People, it's really changed people's lives. I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to be doing it. And, and I love what I see. All right. So if that sounds interesting to you, check for the link in the show notes and also at conversationsfromtheedge.net under um, Alex, you can find that information as well. Thank you, Alex, though. Thank is there you. anything that you want to say about how people might, you know, connect with you more before we wrap up? Sure. You know, they can go to my website, journeytohomeless.health. They can email me personally. It's my first and last name at gmail.com. People can call me on my cell phone. It's included. I don't have no problem. I love what I do. What I do is who I am. I spend my days swimming in these waters mm -hmm. uh, of, of exploration. And my days are filled with this space of being. And, and I am moved to assist people on that journey. That's what I'm here for. Well, and I'm, I'm just feel so honored to be able to talk with you and go deeply into these things. Cause these thank are the things you. that excite me as well. I just, I'm so excited about our journey together. Well, thank you very much. Thank and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. See you next time. This is your host, Christine Madera. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation from the edge of consciousness. You can find all our conversations at conversationsfromtheedge.net. You'll also find links to schedule a private conversation with me or any of my friends, as well as tools to help you expand your own consciousness and explore what's possible for you outside the boundaries of your current perceptions. Feel free to use this podcast to start your own conversation by sharing it with friends, on social media, in your blog, or even in your own podcast. And as always, live the adventure of pushing your own edge. It's the most amazing adventure there is.